Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and publisher of Heavy Metal Magazine. The only thing I like more than Justin Bieber is Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess and take it will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. There is indeed a funny story about why Kevin Eastman likes Justin Bieber. And if you go back into our archives and you listen to his interview, you'll you'll know what that is. I'm not going to spoil it for you now. From a recycled, recycling, knockoff, die-cast, miniature Firefly figurine factory on Subdouble 9, deep in Area 51, welcome to TalkCast 367. One more week, one more edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Feeling actively discomforted this evening, I am your host, The Dome. Joining me on the podcast tonight, the rest of the gang, in the Peabody Time Tunnel, it's our own button-pushing violent virtuoso, Kriana. She's back there somewhere. I can hear her. There you are. There she is. I knew she was there somewhere. Back from her well-deserved vacation in the stanks of the Dank Dungeons Collegiate Prep Underground Library at Ex-California Cyborg University Adjunct Campus in Sulphur Springs, New Jersey, Currently on sabbatical as a visiting haiku engineering fellow. Welcome, Zombrarian. You said in the stanks. I know I did. <laughs> I, I rehearsed that line seven times and screwed it up every goddamn time. And, and screwed it up eight. That's something like that. <laughs> Sorry. Introducing the man who's known as the witness to coincidental history. When the light bulb lit for the first time, he was looking the other way. When he heard, Watson, come here, I want you, he thought they were ordering out for lunch and went to the ATM to get some cash. When the apple fell next to him, he didn't wake up. It's the man who always thought that the Earth was the center of the universe, our very own futurist and gamer, the guy who likes really shiny stuff, awake by Java. Hi. <laughs> Java, what are you playing this week? Anything interesting? Um, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Excuse and also, me? actually, actually, I did finally, on a $20 sale, pick up Horizon Zero Dawn, which lets me play as a red-headed lady who shoots mechanical dinosaurs with a bow and arrow. Who shoots it's at like, the mechanical dinosaurs or the mechanical dinosaurs are the ammunition? Because that's a very important distinction <laughs> and was unclear. Sorry. Um, she shoots at the mechanical dinosaurs and hides them. So it's pretty great. It's like my dream come true. That sounds that's adorable. <laughs> I hope you two it's, are very happy. It's an happy interesting together. dream. Yeah, it's an interesting dream. Good for you. I really uh, still wish that it was a bow and arrow that uses mechanical dinosaurs as the ammunition. That that would have been cool. You can't have everything. What will you dream? You can. Just where do you put it? Next to my mechanical dinosaur arrows. Yeah, yeah, you could, absolutely. Anyway. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually close to a month ago now, uh, we were at uh, the the mini convention in, in Keene, the Keene Mini Comic Con, uh, a one-day affair, which was perhaps one of the most uh, fun conventions I've been to in a while because it was just so damn relaxing. And there were enough people there to make it interesting. There were enough... Uh, vendors and artists there to make it interesting. And it was just uh, a kind of fun day. And we happened to meet a whole bunch of people, some that we'd known before, 
And sitting next to somebody I knew before was this guy named Shakespeare. And I'd like to take a minute to introduce you all to my new friend. And I call him my new friend because uh, we bonded over a bunch of stuff at the convention. Nick Shakespeare. Nick, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey, Dome. What's up? It's good to be here. Well, I'm, I'm really glad we finally got this one together. It was kind of touch and go there for a while with missed connections, wrong phone numbers, and, and, and all kinds of other stuff. Nick is one of the multi-talented artists, uh, one of the more multi-talented artists that I've met in, in a while. Uh, his, his main kind of deal at the convention was this wonderful graphic novel that he's working on called The Siren Song, which I believe started as, did, it, did this start as a webcomic? It did not. It, uh, ah. it started as a one-episode one-off, and I'm uh, chipping away at it here and there. And, and you've been working at it for a while. I uh, have, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but this isn't what you really do for a living. This is more of a passion project, fun project for you. You got it right. Uh, uh, this, is a, this is what I do when I'm not working. It's my labor of love. It's going to go on for a while whenever I get time to do it. But what I really do is uh, I'm a storyboard artist uh, working out of New York, uh, working mainly for TV shows. Okay. So nobody that I ever knew grew up thinking, I want to be a storyboard artist when I grow up. <laughs> Me neither. And, and <laughs> well, I kind of figured that, you know, in some of the discussion that we had uh, at the con and stuff. But, I mean, you've got a, a fairly heavy-duty resume. Uh, you graduated from uh, Tisch School of the Arts at New York University. You got a, uh, your Bachelor of, of Arts in, in Film and Television. And literally, within a couple of years, there you are working for ABC, CBS, Fox, FX, HBO, uh, Netflix, and working, doing storyboarding, it's some very, uh, very cool stuff. And, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute. But how, how, how did this, how did you end up at Tisch? Uh, was that something you always wanted to be? You wanted to go to school for art? Well, um, I grew up in a tiny little town in Vermont called Marlboro, if anybody knows it. There's, I mean, once I went to New York, I realized there were more people in a building in New York than in the town of Marlboro. <laughs> uh, that tends I, to be a rather culture shock there. Yeah, you step out of your front door and you can't see another house for miles. Um, so, I mean, I grew up there with, you know, a, one other neighbor that I could hang out with and Pretty much at that point, I really wanted to see what everybody else was doing that wasn't really rural and in the backwoods of New England. And that's what really brought me to New York is to see, you know, to go to the heart of what's going on in America and, you know, join the film industry there. So What was, uh, what was the draw for the film industry for you? I mean, were you doing like uh... – your own little Super 8 films in high school and stuff? Uh, oh, here's where it all ties in is um, not so much. I mean, I got a camera and was, you know, making scrappy, horrible, you know, child films. But most of it all came back to just making stories. You know, being in the middle of nowhere, you have, you know, it's me, myself, and my imagination to keep myself company. So you make stories, you play in the woods, and you find ideas for stuff that, you know, stories you want to tell. And that's what led me to say, like, oh, my God, let me go to New York and become, like, an amazing Spielbergian director that will take the world by storm. Of course, once I get there, I realize that it takes a heck of a lot to actually be a director, and that's nothing what I wanted to do. Per se. <laughs> it sounded great until you realized what was involved. 
Oh, my gosh. It, it's so much. I mean, you think you know what it is, and then there's a hundred people asking you, like, what are we supposed to be doing? And you're like, oh, right, there's a lot more to it. So you, you end up at Tisch School of the Arts, and mm -hmm. you're taking all these art classes and film classes and television classes. And where, where, where did you start to lean into storyboarding? Oh, well, that, that came after college. I mean, mainly going to oh. college, it was discovering that being a director takes a lot more than I thought it would. And then, but still knowing I wanted to do something in the, in the film and TV industry. Um, then I, you know, made good friends with a friend called Shrug Al Hussein. Uh, she is now working as a set decorator buyer for really big shows like uh, Beauty and the Beast, Les Mis. Like, she's digging her fingers into some really cool stuff. And she was like, hey, why don't you join the art department where we, you know, we build sets and we buy all the furniture to fill the sets and we find out what everything looks like. And I was really interested going down that track. And out of college, I started working on a movie, Step Up 3D. It's a, you know, Academy Award movie winning uh dancing move i'm a big so you think you could dance fan no so way. Said, and i like squealed because i was like you <laughs> and that was my thing that's even embarrassing among geek culture the end love zombrarian oh that was it <laughs> Did you see Step Up 3D with Moose and the gang? I didn't actually ever see it. <laughs> I watched clips on YouTube because I didn't care about the story. I just cared about them dancing. <laughs> Honestly, that's how 99% of the audience viewed that movie. <laughs> Nobody watches a dancing movie for the plot. Truth. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I might have seen part of it. When we got kicked out of the movie theater. Never mind. That wasn't a nice story to tell. Hey. <laughs> you don't have to finish that story, Sombra. I'm not okay. finishing that story. <laughs> Perfect. So, so right out of college, you're doing set design, set dressing uh, in the, I, the art department. Oh, I wish. I mean, right out of college, you're a PA. That's a production assistant. You are getting coffees for people, you know, moving phone calls left and right. You don't really have any say in anything. But on that job, I met a storyboard artist, Patrick Campbell, who's like a really cool dude, really nice guy. Um, he's actually got a band called, oh, God, I, I don't remember, Sonic Something in the Power Pops. I'm going to say that. But anyways, he's a really cool guy, and he was the storyboard artist for Step Up 3D, and I, like, was just leaning over his shoulder, and he's like, hey, yeah, check it out. This is a thing you can do. And I was like, are you kidding me? This sounds awesome. You're telling stories visually by drawing pictures. This is all I want to do. And so after, you know, a little bit of time drawing storyboards for uh, indie film kids, Back at NYU, I developed a resume, um, applied to get into the union, and then got accepted. Of course, it took another six months before I actually started getting calls for jobs. But that's the ain't that the truth. But you, you know that that's kind of an incredible New York success story. <laughs> I mean, that's the in reality. No, go ahead. I don't know. You just, you just meet somebody, and they're like, oh, hey, by the way, this thing exists. And you're like, I never knew that could possibly exist, and yet it does. And then you, you, go, out, you go out on a limb, you try it out and see what's, you know, roll the dice and see what happens. And more often than not, if you try, it'll happen. There's, uh, your, your resume just kind of blows me apart. And, and that's kind of one of the things we talked about is you, uh, when we were at the convention, we, we had some downtime together, and you were just kind of talking about a bunch of the 
TV shows and, and movies that you've uh, done storyboards for. And my question to you, and, and I was just going, oh, cool, that's amazing, that's wonderful. And, and you got to Mr. Robot, and we just kind of talked Mr. Robot for about 10 minutes. Uh, so what is your process in being a storyboard artist for uh, an episode of a television show. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. That's a weird way to get to this, but I, I see, because it's you're not working with your story. You're working with somebody else's story. You're working in somebody else's universe, and you're producing a visual interpretation of this other guy's story in this other guy's universe. Yeah, it's all about adaptation. Because uh, when you're jumping from show to show, it's all about what the tone of the show is. I mean, they have tone meetings talking about what the actual feel of the show is. And especially for shows like Mr. Robot or, I don't know, like Gotham or Blindspot or all these shows that have very unique looks to them, when you go in there, you have to adapt to what their style is and what the energy is behind the camera. So opening up, I mean, every job is around three to four days, nothing more, nothing less per episode. So you meet up with the director, and after reading the script, the director kind of goes through their idea of what their vision is for how they see the scene playing out. We go shot for shot, down the beats, you know, kind of encapsulating what they want their people to feel when they watch it, what the vibe is, what the general energy of the thing is. And so I go home and I draw up a bunch of pictures for what the director sees. And uh, then I show them to the director. We do a couple of revisions back and forth. But then once I've translated the director's vision, then we send it to the rest of the crew and they're like, oh, this is what we're shooting. Cool. Let's go from there. And then technically you're done. And then technically I'm done. So essentially (laughs) what a storyboard artist is, is a a visual translator for a director. It's, it's uh, one of the weirdest and yet at the same time, probably one of the most artistic jobs around because there are so many uh, constraints to it. And yet at the same time, uh, there's an immense amount of freedom within those constraints. I'm making no sense at all. No, <laughs> Sorry I, about that. <laughs> I hear you completely. And that's the fun of it, is like sometimes I'll have a director who knows exactly what they want to do, and I'm just like, I'm just understanding that and drawing it out. But sometimes I'll get a director who just reads the script, and they're like, I don't know, I want it to feel like this? And I'm like, okay, let me take a swing at it, and draw a couple storyboards to convey the action in a different way, you know? Yeah. You, you did a whole lot of, uh, uh, work for, uh, Marvel Netflix, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Punisher, the defenders. Uh, and I'm guessing there's more, more coming. Is, is that substantially different? Um, Marvel stuff? No, I mean, it's all, since it's dealing with superheroes and superpowers, there's a lot of action scenes. So, I mean, mainly what I get brought in for is if there are stunts, uh, if there are car crashes, if there's visual effects that they need to translate to people. Um, And Marvel is all full of that kind of stuff. Um, I've worked on every season of theirs, and... They are chock full of crazy stuff that they need to interpret to the rest of the crew, so we're all on the same page when we start to shoot it. I mean, right now we're working on uh, Iron Fist Season 2, Daredevil Season 3, we're finishing up Season 2 of Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, and hopefully we can get Punisher Season 2 as well. And it's just all crazy fight scenes and supernatural strength, Luke Cage's bulletproof skin, and all of this stuff is stunts and visual effects. And that is where the storyboards come in. Do you have a Bible that they hand you 
when you're going in to do a show that kind of says, here's what this person is, here's what they do. They're associated with this person. Uh, they both hate this person. Or... No, you know what? <laughs> they do have that for Gotham. They literally have a Bible going through all of the Dark Knight skills, all of the bad guys, all of the locations. And I was like, can I get a copy of this? And they're like, there's only three made specifically for this show. <laughs> so it's like an ultimate collector's item. So, so, yeah. so my guess is that for most shows, it's like, ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for Marvel, they, I mean, they, they do have an idea of like what they're, I mean, of course they do. Um, they do give an idea to everybody. They have like a, a they have like a tone book that kind of lays the idea of not just who the character is, but what this reinterpretation is for that you know that specific storyline. Like um, I mean, when you go to Daredevil, they've got an entire binder all about just the lighting for specific scenes just to get the feel and the grittiness and, you know, just really the tone that they're trying to reach. Because, I mean, Marvel Netflix is an entirely different chapter than the Marvel blockbuster movies. If anybody's seen Daredevil Season 1, they got to get really gritty because it's Marvel for a rated R audience, essentially. Right. So in the midst of being in an interpreter between the story and the eyes of the cast and crew. You have this other time because it's like you have three days to do the storyboards, then you wait for your next job, and then you have three days to do the storyboards, whatever. Uh, so you started doing this this comic called The Siren Song. Let's talk about where that story came from. Well, um, I first, uh, way back in college, me and these two other guys, uh, Dave Abel and Chris Vermonte, uh, really wanted to make a comic about something. And so we wandered across an idea that we called at the time She-Pirates. And I mean, this was back in college when we were, you know, a few unwoke dudes who just wanted to do, like, hot babes who were also pirates. I mean, we also had an idea to do She Bandits, which was, you know, ladies in the Wild West. It was kind of just like, let's do, like, a cool comic about, you know, cool ladies plus a genre. Um, And that's how we came on to She Pirates. So they stole She Bandits and turned it into Godless, basically. (laughs) I won't actually, we, we can cut that from the show so that you won't lose your affiliation with Netflix if you want. Oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> hey, Godless. They Netflix. know what they did. <laughs> <laughs> but so, um, I mean, over time, uh, Dave and Chris, they moved to California and, you know, the project kind of fell sideways. But, you know, I still really like the idea of pirates because... You know, at, at, by this time, I've read, like, dozens of books on the subject. Uh, I actually read through Moby Dick, which was hell. And uh, I actually rode on a – or sailed on a tall-masted ship from Boston to New York just to really get a feel for what it was to sail on the ocean. And so I, re- I was connected to this idea of, you know, the nautical notion. But at the same time, what I really wanted to – you know, when it came to creating creating a comic for me, what I really wanted to do was explore the visual aspect of it, and specifically how how do you tell a story? And given the rules of pacing and panel layouts, how do you use those rules and play with them to really explore what it is to make a comic? Well, isn't that in some ways very similar to what you do as a storyboard, but in some ways completely different. Some ways completely different, but, I mean, it's right up the same alley. I mean, at the same time, 
movies are a, you know, a, it involves actual fluid movement. You know, you watch people do things, whereas comics is stationary. But in an essence, storyboards and comics are the same thing. They're telling a story visually or showing an action through single steady panels or establishing a mood or an emotion through how you frame a shot. So absolutely. I mean, I love the fact that I'm able to do storyboards while doing comics at the same time because it's just, you know, I get to practice mediums next to each other and explore what it is to tell stories visually. So how do you find, sorry, Dome, I have a question now. Um, So how do you, like, do you feel like storyboarding affects the way that you draw comics? Like, do you feel like you have a, I'm not going to say, do you feel like you have a better sense of motion and conveying motion than other comic artists? Because that would be rude for you to say. But I will imply it heavily. What I will (laughs) say is I have a better sense uh, than myself having not played with storyboards. Uh, by, and by that I mean by understanding how storyboards work and talking with stunt coordinators um, and special effects people, just how you know how movement plays out on screen has given me myself a better idea of how to portray movement in comics, um, and vice versa. I mean, a lot of the times I get calls and people are saying, like, hey, we're working on Gotham or Marvel. Like, we want those weird comic book looks because, I mean, nowadays, more than ever, there's so many TV shows out there with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. There's like a thousand TV shows. We're in a golden age of television. And, you know, to stand out, people really want their stuff to look different, look unique, and... More often than not, they're going the route of the comic book. And I feel it's good for me to practice with comics to give some ideas to storyboards. Is somebody well, eating Werther's original caramels? I'm sorry, what's that? Why would you say that? Because <laughs> all I can hear is this, like, cellophane crackling noise. And so I'm guessing someone's grandma is visiting for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and was, Werther's caramels. <laughs> oh, is that on my end? Do I have like a cellophane candies being unwrapped over here? I don't think I it don't... was you. You sound very good. Okay. I think it was dome. dome. No, unfortunately, it's not. I don't have any cellophane candies. I'm just sucking down uh, Hall's cough drops to keep my that, throat that awake. Would be, that would be the sound. Is. That's the wrapper. Mm. Yep. Anyway, sorry, continue. The telltale rapper. Uh, where was I? Uh, you know, storyboards help my comics, and comics help my storyboards. There's a guy who works for Marvel that does uh, really beautiful photogenic storyboards where every actor you see actually looks like the actual actor. Um, but that's for movies. When it comes to TV, they're just trying to punch out scenes and, like, punch out their episodes, so... You know, you'll be blown by panels for, I mean, whereas a movie takes like a couple of years to do, a season of TV, they're just trying to get it out there. And so storyboards are a lot less detailed. Which is interesting because it actually helped me draw a lot quicker and has led me to adapt to a different drawing style. But at the same time, it's hard to go back to drawing detailed drawings when you're used to scratching out a person in like a couple of minutes. Yeah, I was just going to say that there's, you know, significant uh, input differences for storyboarding and cartooning. So is when, when you're working on Siren Saw, is it more relaxing for you? Do you uh, what's what's the difference? for you in working in that? Well, it's uh, it's a little bit of both. When, um, I mean, for chapter one of the Siren Song, like 95% of the pages I actually did with uh, a pencil. 
pencil and inks, um, whereas most of my storyboard work is now done on a computer with a Wacom tablet. And, I mean, the last page of the Siren Song, Chapter 1, is actually done on the computer. And if, if you look at it, you can see there's a difference between the pencil and inks and working on the tablet computer. And now that I've been working on the computer for storyboards for so long, I love the heck out of it. It's hard to turn back just because, I mean, in terms of editing, if you draw a great face but it's not the right size, you can just resize it. You can get more detailed. You can, I mean, originally I wanted to watercolor this whole series, but that would have added like 50 years to the production of it. So I decided to do it all on the computer. And that's helped out immensely. So, I mean, in terms of moving towards more heavily detailed drawings, it's both, you know, relaxing and stressful because I'm able to take my time and do a good job, but then it's like I'm used to drawing a picture in a couple of minutes, and now it's taking me a couple of hours to doing a single panel. And it's like, how much detail do I add to get to the level that I originally want this to be? And it's kind of a shakeup because I got to find out what what it is that I want to draw again after doing storyboards for so long. At the end of chapter one, you have uh, three or four pages of I won't say explanation, but kind of where you are and what goes on in this universe. Uh, so, I mean, in this case, not only are you not working with somebody else's ideas, they're your own ideas. You've created this universe, and you're the one who gets to decide uh, what's important, what's not, uh, what things exist, and what things don't have to exist. So is, is did this become an ongoing thing with you? Did things change as, you, as you're going along through uh, Chapter 2? Well, I am, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know if anybody's read Mouse Guard. It's a comic about um, mice, kind of like almost a red wall vibe, but... Anyways, these... Uh, Is that the Arts like, series? Uh, Mouse Guard. It's by a guy named David uh, Peterson. I've heard of it. I am yeah. a young people's librarian, so I found it for lots of kids. But I have oh. not actually gotten a chance to read it because they all want to. It's a beautiful series. It's just about mice with, you know... Um, lore addition to it. and But one of my favorite things about uh, this series is that the guy has invested really deeply into the lore of the background of the story. So if you buy an actual uh, copy of the comic, or at least one of the hardcover bounds, in the back, like, ten pages, you'll get all of these pages uh, all about the lore of the world, about different towns, different, um, you know, tools that the mice use, the maps that go on. And really, I was like, there's something really cool about that. And as for myself, I'm really invested into, you know, if you're creating a story, like, let's talk about the lore of it, whether it's Star Wars or Marvel or Lord of the Rings. Like, if you're going to do something, like, build a world around it. So for me, those last three pages are really, you know, I mean, the last page is a map of the world where everything takes place. Uh, the first story, the first page is about the history of the world, or more or less, and the second page is all about the religion of the world. So really, I try to condense down a couple of things that I could give to the viewers that, re that they could really feel around for what this world was with them. And actually, in those last three pages, I don't know if anybody noticed, but there's a lot of notations done in green pen. And if anybody picked up on it, those are supposed to be the actual notations of the captain of 
or the protagonist of the comic, uh, Angela Guantego. These are the notes she makes across these historical documents in her own journals, if you will. That's so cool. Now, I also noticed that uh, if you go to uh, the sirensong.com, uh, the first volume uh, is now available in a uh, hard copy edition. Are we looking to get uh, Escape from Haven's Bay in there as well fairly soon? Oh, man. Um, yes, honestly. <laughs> I, ideally, I want to start punching out uh, pages. And let me address this to the public, if I can. In one of those back pages, I said there would be weekly pages presented for the next chapter, and I was way off. Uh, as, as somebody who has a full-time job doing something else, in addition to writing a comic, I really overestimated how much I would be able to create on the side. Um, but nonetheless, I am, you know, I am chipping away at the second chapter. The second chapter is all written. Now I'm uh, scratching away at the pages, and I want to say by I, I want to say come 2018, you will start seeing chapter two pages. I know that's very vague, but it's ready. I'm revving up to get it out there, but there's just a lot of storyboards to do. There's a whole lot of people out there who understand that the the road to Chapter 2 is paved with good intentions. <laughs> Tell me about it. But, uh, and having seen uh, Chapter 1, uh, I've got to let the viewers know, uh, and there will be links to get them everywhere they need to be to take a look at this stuff. Uh, there's a beauty in intrinsically inventing a new place when done correctly inventing characters you've never seen before in places you've never seen before doing things that clearly are just endemic to this new place and new people uh that when done correctly and and done with with care and caring can be a wonderful thing and and like i said what I saw when we were together uh, and, and what's available for people to see on the website shows that it's a really, really, really good series. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I had all these great questions about, uh, did people make fun of you at school for having the last name Shakespeare? And yeah, oh. you know, I was a, yeah, no kidding, Shakespeare. Oh, wait, that's his actual name. Never mind. But, uh, the, the fact remains, this is really cool stuff, and, and it was it was a pleasure meeting you last month, and an absolute pleasure having you on the show, man. So uh, thank you so much for dropping by, and you're welcome back any old time. Dome, thanks for having me, man. And uh, thank you for uh, talking about my comic. I'm uh, still looking to expand my audience, and, you know, when I start punching out some more pages, hopefully that'll grow. Hopefully it will. Hey, Kriana, is it time for news yet? <laughs> and now the news. Uh, for the hey, record, Java. This is a bad idea. Why is this a bad it's idea? It's only going to end in tears. Um, <laughs> the there's news, news to say. Go for it. What do you got? What the hell? Um, oh, you know what we saw? Uh, wh oh, you probably talked about it last time. I didn't talk about it with you. Um, was the new doctor. And there is a new trailer. Oh, we haven't talked about a teaser, right? Yeah, oh, for the, have we not uh, talked about the the appearance of Jodie Whittaker in her new costume as Doctor not, Who? Have not. Oh boy, oh boy, it's interesting. <laughs> it's actually a neat throwback to uh, I think Tom Baker um, with the uh, there's m multiple colored striping and a very cool jacket and some suspenders. It's it's pretty neat, pretty neat. 
And we're, we're going to provide a link uh, to the teaser for the Christmas special, which is coming up fairly soon, and which which has become a, a wonderful little event in, in the new Doctor's world. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. That's that's going to be a fun thing. Uh, we got less than a month till the Christmas special. Well, a little, little bit more than a month till the Christmas special, um, which is definitely worth paying attention to. Uh, Jude Law cast as Dr. Lawson for Captain Marvel. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I it like Jude could be Law. interesting. I like Jude Law. I like Brie Larson. I have no idea what to expect from a Captain Marvel movie. Nothing. Right. Uh, well, and that and, may be the and best other, part of the Marvel universe. <laughs> in other uh, Green Lantern or in other uh, comic book news, um, Slash Film reported that uh, the writer of Green Lantern, the new Green, Green Lantern. Lantern movie wants uh, John Stewart to play, or uh, wants the uh, the guy from American Gods uh, to play John Stewart Green Lantern, right? Oh, that's all of it. Um, that's weird. Which is which is really interesting because the last Green Lantern movie we got was awful. Yes, it was Ryan Reynolds. Awful. That- that was the Ryan Reynolds, I got a cool ring, guys. And that was about the entire movie. Right. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. That was and he played Hal. He played Hal Jordan, right? Like, he did. Like he, was the, he was the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, which, yeah, he was, you know. Hal Jordan was a goofier Green Lantern. I will give Ryan Reynolds the benefit of the doubt where I feel like Hal Jordan was a much goofier Green Lantern. Yeah, I'm absolutely. not going to disagree with you there. Yeah, but I mean, Ricky Whittle, who plays um, uh, Moon in American Gods, would make a fantastic Green Lantern. Yes, as long as they don't try to make him a goofy Green Lantern. If right. they make and, him and... a serious. I have a responsibility, Green Lantern. Well, and John Stewart was that exact kind of Green Lantern. Exactly. I mean, he he was like very all about business and I have immense cosmic powers type of Green Lantern. Um Any living space. Nope, that's the genie <laughs> that's and Aladdin. There we go. <laughs> it would, and it would actually be nice to see him to see him in in that in a in a different role. I mean, I I love him in American Gods, but he. Hey, have we heard about American Gods season two yet? Oh man, American Gods season two. Coming. We you know, coming. in in the future. Yeah. Um, no, I. It, it's one of those things where after. Game of Thrones and, you know, there's just so much waiting time between these series. And I feel like it's they're just they're just dragging it out. Like we just we we just saw the end of the the Star Trek series for now until January. And that's something. And we've got another episode of Orville, but we're in sweeps. So. I don't know. Yeah, and that, they're not really happy with what it's doing. Family has like but. four celebrity guests this week. Yeah, that's why Zombarian. Stop asking questions. <laughs> Be quiet and go sit in the corner, Zombarian. Okay. No, you don't have to sit in the corner for that one. It's okay. Here's the one you have to sit in the corner for. Okay. Weirdest movie that I've heard is a new live-action origin movie for Daphne and Velma. Pre Scooby Doo. I know. I know. Yikes! It, it scares the hell out of me. What this is actually going to be? Has there ever been a good Scooby Doo movie? First question. Yeah, Scooby Doo and Dark Lemon was was a wonderful movie. <laughs> Has there ever been a good live action Scooby Doo movie? 
You don't like the Freddie Prince Jr. one? I mean, as a 90s child, I can't say that I hate it, but I do hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was not a good not not a not a not a good one. It's going to star Sarah Jeffrey and Sarah Gilman from uh, Last Man Standing. So Sarah's. It could be very strange. It, that could be absolutely will be very strange. You know what I want an origin story for? The dog Uh-oh. talks. And his best. Oh, you you could do a, you could do a whole backstory of of. Evil veterinarians uh, from another planet. Yes, you could do stuff with <laughs> Scooby. And where could. does Scrappy come from? I mean, like, and is Shaggy Scooby's friend? Clone. He own him. Like, clone. it's a very it's disturbing world when you start to think about it. Like, Scooby is obviously a sentient being with emotions and the ability to communicate and how, like how far does Scooby go towards personhood? We like may never know. Well, it's one like of the Adidas best, situation. one of the best theories that I've ever heard for that is actually that Scooby is the only person. Oh. The rest of them are imagination. They're all they're all aspects of his personality. <laughs> no, this is serious. This is an actual thing I've heard as well. Yeah, yeah. Scooby Doo, according to Freud, got it. it, it well, it, it goes a little deeper than that. the The, the primary idea is that Scooby is um, uh, schizophrenic. Wait, and Scooby or Shaggy. No, well, I've heard it, it both ways. Not both to, ways. Not to get psych about it, but I have actually heard it both. Yeah, ways. so like, it really depends on your bent, but um, it's it's a really interesting theory, and and it's it's <laughs> no, mostly because it because it, it goes pretty deep. There's a there's a rabbit hole there. It's worth a it's worth a Google. Um, and, the, and wait, and Shaggy is. Is the dominant personality because they're always like he's never away from Shaggy, right? And yeah, and all the rest of them are kind of sub sub aspects of one form or another. Yeah, and then like, aren't all the villains supposed to be like the illness? Yeah, something like that. that. It's. It's pretty great. They all anyway, wear masks and yeah, it's it's. So I think what we need to Google do is that. invite the listeners to email in their best idea of what Scooby Doo's adventures are actually all about, and and I'll find I'll find I will as as Please as as Bob this. is my witness. Please don't do this. I will find the correct. <laughs> Please. I will don't. find a great prize. No um, also, if you send in, it's about getting high and bothering. No, that's old not men, a good answer. You're correct. That's not a good answer. You're correct. You... That that is the answer. Yeah, but it's not a fun answer. This not isn't a fun, a fun discussion, a but it's still happening. You're not a fun discussion. I never claimed to be fun. <laughs> anything? Anything else you got for us tonight, Java? Uh, I mean, there's, you know, Fantastic Beasts uh, and Where to Find Them. Trailer uh, coming uh, Book 2, Electric Boogaloo, which is what I would have named it, but no. It's movie or 2. Or Revenge of the Sith, but no, they didn't. It's The Crimes of Grindelwald, like that That's... makes any sense. Whatever. Um, dumb. Stop showing yeah. off how ignorant you are. R.E. Harry Potter. <laughs> you muggle. You great yeah, what can I muggle. What can I tell you? Uh. I mean nothing. That's why she's insulting you. Absolutely. You can't tell me things I don't know about Harry Potter. Unless you're J.K. Rowling. And even then, I would question some of it. 
Not really. Because okay, the fans we, we need... own the property. She is a god upon the earth, and we are but mortals before I her. So. I don't know, man. That that murder mystery she wrote was pretty bad. That was really bad, and she needed to not do it. But but you know, I the mean, for, for every Garth Brooks, cops. for every Garth Brooks, you know, discography, you've got that Chris Crutcher. Yep. It's just. <laughs> Let's let's well, build his took a left turn country Brooks music. <laughs> They're cousins, right? No. <laughs> right. And, and I think I did have someone I, ask me that once. I think like, are Garth Brooks to... and Chris Crutcher related? I was like, yes, closely. Yes. In a very odd way. They're, she was like, oh, so like cousins. I think we need to end tonight's show with the warning to everyone. That if you watch Fear the Walking Dead, season four, they're adding Jenna Elfman as a series regular. What? Why? <laughs> and on that note, oh, good Lord. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of RadditCon, King Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com and ComicArthouse.com is a comic art house for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, on Amazon and at BardsandNoble.com. Our intro music production was provided by Rob Watts. Find his creations at RobWattsOnline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their crews are available on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com which only makes sense. Uh, I want to thank our friend Mr. Shakespeare who came to talk about all kinds of cool stuff like Mr. Robot story and all the stuff that he does. Shakespeare, thank you for joining us tonight. I also want to thank uh, the gang for joining us from the Peabody Time, the sweetheart of the center, Brianna, the woman of words on the grand. Thank you very much, ladies. Good night. Rolling Hills of Rain for all the fish. Much appreciation and job for joining us tonight. This is Jones. Mm. Shared pages, lesson, shared pages. I know.